There's no denying that Julie too loves writing about love, and it definitely shows in her sophomore novel, Circling Back to You. Julie joins us on this podcast to talk about how she found her way in the world of all things rom-com. Julie introduces us to Candace and Matt, the ultimate will-they-won't-they couple, working in the real estate business. Their friendship blooms into an office romance, but when climbing the professional ladder proves to be a real block from love, they must figure out what they are willing to sacrifice and keep. Stay with us as we loop you all in on another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses Podcast. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzysbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses podcast. We're your host. My name is Denny. And I am Veronica. And today we have a very special guest that is joining us today. For those who love to dive into the world of all things rom and com, we are joined by the lovely Julie Tu. Julie Tu is a Chinese-American writer born and raised in Southern California. When she is not writing or working as a college counselor, she's reading on the hunt for delicious eats or dreaming about her next travel adventure. She lives in Los Angeles area with her high school crush husband and two energetic daughters. Welcome to the show, Julie. How are you doing today? Good, good. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome because uh, I think of all of the all of the books that we've read within the like almost close to three years of us doing this, you're probably our our second rom-com yes and and our first happy ending <laughs> oh okay if i'm allowed to say that i'm honored then <laughs> <laughs> yes everything ends like sad or like you know the story is not done but this is the first time we're like oh okay <laughs> we're, we're good um yeah so this this is a very special for us uh you have written your sophomore novel, um, Circling Back to You, which is our uh, August book of the month pick. So this is a very special treat for us for this month. Uh, but before we get down to the nitty gritty of the, of the book and all things Julie, we like to do a very special thing, which is a hot seat five question yeah nothing too serious it's like getting to know you getting you know okay <laughs> i'm ready <laughs> okay so if you can travel anywhere right now where would you go oh that's like a good question um oh my gosh i haven't thought about traveling like internationally in a while um but i know the next um kind of like trip that we we might like as a family we've been wanting to go is to go to england my kids have never traveled internationally and so I think that'll be like a fun kind of like starting place um my kids are really young so I haven't like broached the topic of 
possibly traveling to Asia or anything like that yet. Um, but also with like COVID and all of that, it's hard to think about that kind of stuff. But um, but yeah, I guess our first pick would be England or London. Mm-hmm. Across the pond. Yes, that might be yeah. an inspiration for the next book. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. What is your comfort food? My comfort food? Oh my gosh. Um, I to eat a lot of things <laughs> and so it's really hard for me to I guess like um you know when I when I think like when I'm sick and like what would really like be like a warm hug I, it would be kanji like rice porridge and so um and I think about you know of course there's a lot of like plain varieties but um the version that I like the most is like a seafood version that my mom and mother-in-law like to make and you can like um, they like to top it with like a, like Chinese fried curler on top, which is really good. So, um, and a lot of like fried and garlic kind of stuff on top. So, um, so yeah, that's good. <laughs> my my mother-in-law likes to make it with a um, the century-old egg. Oh yeah, that's really good too. Oh, yes, that that's that that's it for me, and a lot of garlic. Anyway. Yeah before I digress even further. Um, if you want to impress a foodie, which restaurant in LA are we going? Oh my gosh. Um, well, I really like, I always like bringing people into San Gabriel Valley. Like that's where my books are set. Um, that, you know, the San Gabriel Valley is like the highest concentration of Asian Americans in the US. And so there's a lot of good restaurants in this area. And so, oh my God, there's so many picks. Um, oh my God. Uh, well, I, I will reference uh, one of the restaurants that's kind of inspired a food item that's in the in the book, Insert Going Back to You, which is, um, there's a place called um, King King Food Court, which is where they're famous for their um, pan-fried steamed buns. Um, and so like when you watch like shows on Netflix, there's just different shows that have featured this restaurant. And so I just like to go, I probably that's like a really good kind of like mom and pop, like homey kind of place to, to take one and just eat something really delicious. Oh, that sounds good. That so everybody's <laughs> gonna be hungry after listening to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, you are crackling and popping. Are you plugging? Oh, okay. your, is your headphone plugging or is it wireless? It's wireless. I could try taking it with you if you want to try it that way. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's good. All right. Can you hear me better this way? Oh, oh my yes. goodness, yes. Yes, yes. Okay, sorry. We started off good and then it just got louder and louder and louder. So this is this is perfect. Okay, good. Okay, all right. Next question. What is your favorite rom- um, rom-com film to watch? Like what's something that you always go back to? Yes, I watch 27 Dresses a lot. Um, my husband always complains about it. I was like, oh, you're watching this movie again. <laughs> and I'm like, it's like the perfect movie to just kind of like put in the background while you're doing other stuff. I've watched it enough times where like, I know what's going on. I could always look up at like my favorite part. And so, um, yeah, it's just so much fun. And I love weddings. Um, so. Uh, so yeah, I think that's definitely my go-to, um, but there's a lot of good ones. Um, I do, well, the one, the movie that inspired like Circling Back to You, for instance, was uh, Two Weeks Notice. So, I mean, Sandra Bullock can 
do no wrong. I love all her movies. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, rom-coms are just like comforting and just like light and it's just easy to like watch and especially like do other things while, while it's on the TV. And so, um, I, I don't know, there's, it's hard for me to think of a rom-com I don't like actually. <laughs> 27 Dresses is one of my favorites too. It's a movie that I've rented from the Red Box and never returned. Three dollars <laughs> off of me for that movie. That movie was is is definitely one. I love it when she's in the cab and she has to change all of her clothes. <laughs> oh yeah, that that's a that's a good pick, right? I mean, and, and James Marsden is like just a wonderful love interest, you know? Yes, yes. <laughs> um. So if Julie wasn't a writer and a counselor, what would she be? Oh my gosh. Um, I think maybe in a different world, um, like if I was younger, maybe I would do, um, I think it's really like, I think the idea of being like a foodie influencer sounds really appealing. I know like it's really hard work to be a content creator, but like, I think I just think about how much fun that would be, but I know I'm not talented in the, in that area. <laughs> like it's so much work to like put, set up your camera and like be engaging. And like, um, you know, I think about all the people that I like to watch on social media, like they really bring in their voice and their personality, like on camera and they make it look so effortless, but I know it's a lot of work. And so um, it sounds appealing, but I don't know if I, I would do that. But I mean, writing has always been like, the big childhood dream and so um I mean that is really it like so I'm really excited that that's kind of been my life this last year and well well my, my last book debuted last year but I mean there's so much work that goes on behind like publishing takes such a long time and so I'm like right how long have I been doing this now <laughs> it's been a few years now so so yeah like I, I feel you with those like uh, foodie like vloggers or like influencers because like I like I like to eat but I don't know if I can like keep up with all of that you have to be like always on point like the energy always has to be out and yeah. the money has to be yes. there because you're spending some money when you go into these restaurants right yeah so, and but, they have to look good on camera I'm like I don't know if I could look good while eating on camera I'm just you know like I just want to enjoy my food I can only imagine, like, by the time they finish taking pictures and everything, everything's, like, cold. I'm like, no, I'm not about that. I just want to eat the food and enjoy my time, you know? Um, but, yeah, but, I mean, it, it definitely looks appealing. <laughs> the, the art of um, eating and being pretty at the same time is, yes. a, is a real talent. <laughs> so, before we get into your book and, and to who you are as a writer, why don't you give our listeners a, just a quick synopsis of what circling back to you is all about. Yeah, so like the most basic concept of circling back to you is like a work wife and a work husband go on this business trip together and they, um, you know, they kind of take their chemistry out of the office, um, so to speak. Um, but um, it is about um, Cadence, who is an analyst, and Matt, who is a real estate broker. They are both based in San Francisco. Um, they have worked together for many years and they, they do have to go on a business trip to secure a deal that will, um, help them both professionally. And so, uh, when they go on this trip, it takes them very close to their hometowns and, um, it, they start to unravel kind of what their lives are like outside of the office and start to see each other in a new light. 
and um, and that's kind of where the romance begins to bloom. And so um, it's kind of, I really wanted to write a book where we see characters really kind of work together and balance like their ambition, their family lives, and really kind of make it work together. And I, I kind of like that level of realism, even though like people like to look at rom-coms as like an escapism and, you know, something light and fluffy fair, which this book is for the most part. Um, I do like it that it's grounded in this kind of um, real life problems. And I think that's what makes it really relatable to, to readers. Hmm. So personally, what made me want to read this book is like Matt, because I'm Filipino. Mm -hmm. I've never seen like a like a Filipino like portrayed in like oh you're the lead here and you're actually like smart you're like hot (laughs) you actually like are like you know part of like what makes this book work so how did Matt like come to you and why did you decide like to go with him of all all like the Asians around (laughs) (laughs) to pick from yeah, yeah. Um, I was I was telling my husband, I was like, I have different like answers for this. Like the most like shallow answer is like, like why not? Like there's a lot of good looking Filipino. <laughs> um, um, and like the deeper answer would be like, you know, I I grew up in Southern California. I happen to grow up in an area where there's a lot of Filipinos, and I have a lot of friends who are Filipinos, and so it just kind of seemed like a natural extension of like the kind of world that I live in. Like of course, like he would be like, let's make my love interest Filipino, right? And um, also I wrote this book during like the early months of quarantine. And so during that time, like I reconnected with a lot of friends over Zoom and on the phone. And there's just kind of like this sense of nostalgia of like reconnecting with my friends, but also thinking about like, how are your families? I haven't been to your house in a long time. Like I grew up in a lot of Filipino homes, like after school and, you know, I think the way like, being part like like experiencing like their big family events and parties was just like such a like unique experience and I thought like wouldn't it be nice to be able to put that in the story and so um so yeah like those are kind of like the starting inspirations for that and yeah I think having a lot of conversations with different Filipino friends like gave me a lot of different perspectives in terms of like how do I want to shape this shape him as a character how do I want to portray his family you know there's a lot of conversations of like how do I integrate like small cultural aspects that obviously like I'm not Filipino so I can't like do a deep dive on like I don't have any lived experience I don't I can't do a deep dive on like culture or anything like that but I do want to be able to highlight like different things that we might naturally observe if we were in a Filipino home right we're at a Filipino family party and so um, there was a lot of conversations about like, what would the food be like? Like what kind of like language or like phrases that I can integrate here? What are, you know, just some like unique things that really, again, celebrate culture, but in the, in a everyday kind of way. And so, um, so yeah, that's kind of where kind of the development of that part of the story came from. Yeah. Cause I'm like, you know, I'm like, I was thinking like, when we talk to you, I'm like, I have to say, like, thank you, because I'm like, I've never seen, like, a Filipino, like, protagonist like that. It's always usually just, like, a, a best friend, like, a sidekick, you know? So, and then, and if and if it allows curiosity for other people to, like, make a deep dive, then I think, to me, that was enough. Like, 
to peak interest like in our lives because like you know we want to be like all like deep in it but what what you see with us is what you get like all the all the aunties and uncles and like the lola it that that that's what our life is so you're still invited julie to the parties and yes you still have fun sit <laughs> i mean that's the most important part like i remember having a conversation with my friend i'm like because you know i've been to her her family parties lots of times i'm like can i just copy the menu from what you guys served last time and like we ran through like all the dishes and she's like well you know there's okay like that looks okay on the buffet table but there's still like soup in the inside the house and i'm like okay okay <laughs> you know let me make sure I get all these details um so that my fictional characters are well fed here <laughs> yes yes <laughs> like how the, it should be <laughs> the um the family parts of this book where uh your family is re represented is like literally like on point whether it be chinese a part of the story or the filipino part of the story how important was it to have these part of the story represent the our our families within this whole genre of this book that you're writing yeah um i like incorporating families you know i think you know i'm i'm in a, i have a really close knit family i am i also have a very personally i have a very big family too and so it's just a very big part of my life and when it comes to dating romance oh my gosh like your family has so many opinions <laughs> about it at different stages in your life and yeah. so like you know when you date somebody like i always imagine like you're really welcoming them into the family unit right and like you kind of have to think about like does this person fit into our family unit or how would they add or change the dynamic to our family unit and so um you know so in that way like um, and I know a lot of, I guess, romances are not really family oriented in that way, you know, um, I think we're starting to see a lot more of that, especially as, as there's more like diverse romances, but, um, you know, like I read a lot of romances where it's just about the two like protagonists, you know, the main characters for the, for the majority of the book. And I'm like, where's their family? Do they have siblings? Like, that's what I always think about. Like, they don't have anybody bothering them <laughs> about their love life. Um, and so, um, so yeah, I really had to think about like, how do I incorporate this in like, an, in an organic way? Cause obviously I'm not with my family 24 seven. And so when I started writing Circling Back to You, like obviously her work life, their professional lives are, are very just centered in their little bubble. And it's, that's when like, when they do go to their, on, on their business trip that takes them out of their office. That's when they really begin to see like the other sides of their lives. And, and I think that's true with any kind of like work kind of dynamic, like you know your coworkers in like a very specific context in a really specific environment. And unless you're really close to them, like you might not share, maybe not like a whole lot about your, your personal life. And so I kind of wanted to observe that, that kind of dynamic, that kind of phenomena too in this, in this book. So just to let you in a little secret, I met my husband at work. <laughs> he is Chinese. So okay. about this story, it's kind of like, you know, we're flipped like the reverse. Yeah. You know, she's like, you know, Cadence is Chinese and like Matt is Filipino, but we've kept our relationship under wraps for a very long time. And people just knew that we were together after we got engaged. <laughs> and 
and you know when you were saying like you don't know any like you really don't know the people that you worked with until like you cross like that line and yeah. then so when we cross that line like I have like you know like my husband was like bombarded like my my sisters like it was it was a whole it was a whole to do but I'm like yeah <laughs> when, you, when, when you said that it like brought me back to the you know the past and when yeah. we to do all this all these things <laughs> yes let me ask you, what is it about this subject of love uh, to you as a person and, and as it being the chosen thing that you want to write about? Yeah, I, I mean, who doesn't love love, <laughs> you know? And it's such a wonderful feeling. And, and I think that romance as a genre, like I think to outsiders, they think it could be a very easy thing to write but I mean falling in love is hard you know like can you imagine like all the people trying so hard to find a date online and like finding that perfect person um that you that compliments you like that's really hard and so um and that's hard to uh put into words <laughs> and write a whole novel about um, and in a way that's new and refreshing every time. And so, um, but, but, but I do love love. I, like the whole, the process of falling in love, getting to know somebody. I think that like writing stories like that is very appealing to me. And, um, you know, a lot of writers have day jobs. They have, you know, kids, other kinds of responsibilities. So I think for me to be able to set aside time in my day to write something, like I really wanted to write something that I enjoy that would bring me joy. And so that's kind of where, um, how I settled, uh, like how I decided like romance is like the right genre for me to, to, to dive into. Where do you get that unlimited like energy for like romance? Like where do you, cause you know, like real life is like already hard and like, especially for the past, you know, three years, how, how did you like get like, inspired or like how did you pull out love from like all the crap that we're dealing with <laughs> it's hard it's hard it is hard it's hard, it hard to be optimistic and write about you know happy stuff when in reality like the world is like wanting to crash and burn no it's very hard it's very hard i'm, I'm having a very hard time on my current book <laughs> um but um for the the for circling back to you, you know, I, like I mentioned earlier, I, I wrote it during the first few months of quarantine. It was such a scary time. It was very um, uncertain. I was locked down in my home with my husband and my kids. Like it was constantly noisy. It was very hard to write. And, you know, I really kind of honed in on things that brought me joy. And I don't, I know probably to like, an outsider it doesn't seem that way but like for me like this book has a lot of personal nostalgia for me um about places that um I like visiting about things I like eating about music that I enjoy like all of those things are like I just try to inject as much joy that uh, things personally that I like into this book um I like and then just sometimes inspiration just comes at the most random times like Sometimes it's like right before I go to bed or sometimes it's in the middle of my commute and which both are very inconvenient because I don't have any 
where to put that thought. <laughs> like, where, how do I type this or write, jot this down somehow while I'm driving? Um, but yeah, whenever I find that spark, like I just have to write it down somewhere. And then I, I try to go back to it, see if I could fit it in the book somewhere. So it's hard, but when you when I find it, like I just try to make sure I hold on to it as much as possible. Um, last week, President Obama, he released his summer reading list. Mm-hmm. And there was a bookstagrammer whose name I, I cannot remember at the moment, but she said that even though the books on the list were pure fire, she loved the pics. She wanted to know where were the romance <laughs> books yes, yes. there. What do you wish that people knew about this particular genre and 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 the desire for it to be acknowledged more than it than it is? Yeah. Um I think people have very specific ideas about romance. Like even like when I first told my family, my own family, like that I was writing romance, their only ideas of romance were like the clinch covers that had like the Fabio model, esque <laughs> model, or are on the other side of the spectrum, they knew about Fifty Shades of Grey. And I guess what I would want readers to know is that there's a whole spectrum of romance, um, subgenres, topics, types of characters, levels of heat, um, no heat, um, you know, and that there's a lot of books that also reflect um, real life topics as what people might consider like more serious topics. Like there's a lot more books now that deal with characters that have mental health um, concerns. Um, There's topics that cover real life issues. And so, um, there's just so much variety. Um, I'm sure that there is a romance book that will appeal to somebody um, out there. Um, and of course, there's like historicals and yeah, all kinds of stuff. So um, they're not all life fluffy um, rom-coms, which again, also not a bad thing either, because we all, there's always times in our lives when we want to reach for something that's lighter fair, right? That can give us a break of from all the things that are going on in the world. And so, yeah, there's just a lot of variety. And I think if people gave it a chance, they can see that there's really good stuff there. And if anything, romance is really a place where there's a lot of strong character development. Because when you think about the, the basic idea of having two characters fall in love, well, what makes it different each time are the characters and the kind of scenarios that they face. And so to make it a really engaging romance, there's a lot of character development. Um, And so if people like character driven stories, like romance is a great place to start. I agree. I think it's interesting because like we said, when we we first started talking to you that this was our second rom-com that we've read within the last three years. And, And as I was sitting with it today, thinking about, you know, how we consume rom-coms that not only are is it the, the things that we're reading but like the question we asked about the movies that you're watching you know especially within the last two years with Bridgerton craze where mm-hmm. everybody's falling into that and how we are digesting these books that most of the time we don't even know were books in the very beginning like we see Jenny Han is out there you know yes. in her bag collecting yeah. <laughs> all the checks so you know kudos to all of them but it is one of those things that we gravitate towards because like you said we either we're looking for something light 
or we're just wanting to look for ourselves. And I was talking to Denny earlier today of like Emily in Paris, I don't think was like the most groundbreaking show for me. But the only reason why I watched it was because Jeremy O'Harris was in it. And he was only in there for like three episodes, but he was in it. And so I'm like, here we have a Tony nominee for his writing his plays that's in this television show. I want to see what this is about. And it really goes back to what representation looks like on the page Mm -hmm. and on the screen. And you've done such a a great job at doing that and pulling us into the story and helping us find ourselves in that book. So uh, my question for you is, I'm just curious, is what do you think and say to a book snob and what they feel is literary and what is not when talking about romance novels? Um, I mean, the, I mean the, the only thing I could really say, and this, this could just go to any reader, is like, you know, when we dive into books, we are, you know, allowing ourselves to kind of immerse ourselves into a story, a different point of view. And the, I think the only way we should read, especially if it's in a genre we're not familiar with or in a perspective that we're not familiar with, is just to really go in with an open mind. Like you could be pleasantly surprised. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think I think trying to write in a way where, I mean, as a writer, thinking about how can I write scenes or characters in a way that really showcases their vulnerability, how they are building intimacy, like these are really personal feelings, right? And and being being able to do it well, that it can really appeal to a wider audience is really challenging, like craft-wise. And so I think for any kind of reader, but especially a book snob, if they could come into a romance book with an open mind, they, I think they will be pleasantly surprised and they are going to hopefully fall in love <laughs> with, with their book, you know? And so, um, yeah, I think people should just give it a chance. So you are writing these stories, you know, that you, you know, you would say like, you know, light and fluffy sometimes, but are also like, you know, have very character driven stories and like, and you also write stuff about like grief and death in this story and also like a little bit also about like gentrification like how do you manage to write both without like you know it being like oh it's like too overpowering or how do you guess manage manage that aspect of writing a a romance novel yeah it's really hard (laughs) it's really hard um and so I mean yeah I really had to think crack wise like I, I wanted to delve into you know these kinds of topics I think again like thinking back to when I was writing this book in 2020 like there was a sense of um I guess like melancholy you know that I was feeling at that time and I was like how do how can I well you know and I thought about like oh I think this could be a great addition to this book and you know, I think writing it as uh, a topic of grief um, in this family was one way to express that. But I also thought like, obviously I don't want this book to be too heavy. (laughs) And so, um, you know, I think for me, I I wanted to touch on it in a really authentic way, but obviously did not want to present it in a way that the character was going through kind of like the more acute or, um, 
immediate kind of sense of, of that feeling, which would be much, which would have been much sadder and, and heavier than what I wanted the book to be. So I think, yeah, I think going in, I think knowing what kind of tone I want the book to have, what, what I, I hope readers will take away from it. I think that really helps me set certain parameters as to like how, how I want to present certain topics. Um, but yeah, and also building up to the right moment to express certain kinds of feelings too, right? So that it all kind of goes back to like, how do we lay the groundwork? How do we put the blueprint so that certain moments are felt um, the way that I, I hope that it will be felt in, in certain scenes at the right part of the story. So yeah, that all just kind of comes down to craft and like rewriting and rewriting multiple times uh, to get it right. What has this whole uh, process been like for you of like, getting into the publishing world like someone actually saying okay yes we want to buy your book because what we the whole reason of why we exist as vulgar geniuses is to let people know that we have great books that's written by people of color and that there should be a huge spotlight on all of this so getting into this part of the process early on is very difficult especially when you are a person of color what was that process like for you and of you getting to where you are now where you're like now I have two books out in the world yeah um my my writer origin story um is actually a, a lot of luck a lot of happenstance um it's not um typical of what other writers have gone through so I, I don't want to present it as like a typical experience um so when I first, when I wrote my first book, The Donut Trap, um, it was, it started out as a personal project. I really didn't think I would ever pitch it. You know, I was at a time in my life where um, I was thinking more about, you know, my, my main career, my, my counseling career. And, uh, and yeah, the, the Donut Trap was just kind of something I did on the side, just more as like my hobby. And I just wanted to do it for me. To, to, I, I always thought I would write a book one day and in 2019, I just thought like, well, why not today? <laughs> and so let me see if I could actually do it. And it was really hard. Like my first draft was like very underwritten. It was like 60,000 words, like a typical novel is like 80, 85,000 words. And so it was very short. Um, and I just kept working on it, kept working on it. Um, and then I honestly didn't know much about the publishing process. And so I picked up books, like I literally picked up the how to write fiction for dummies book. <laughs> like that was the book that I picked. Um, and it gave me a really good like overview of like everything, gave me the right terminology to understand what publishing is about when people use certain vocabulary, like what jargon, what does that all mean? And um, I got an understanding of like what the querying process was like. And like, honestly, it, it all sounds really daunting. Like the idea, like you're supposed to like send cold emails to people and like, hey, like read my book. Hope, hopefully they will represent me. And so, yeah, all that sounded really scary. And so I, I wasn't sure what to do. And then I happened to read The Kiss Quotient by Helen Wong. And in the back, in her acknowledgement section, she talked about pitch wars and it was a men it's a mentorship program. It's it's now defunct, but at the time I thought like, wow, this is a really great opportunity. Like I would love to have a mentor. Um, and and the nice thing about preparing for pitch wars was that 
it gave me a deadline to finish my book, like really, really finish my book because I was like, okay, if I want to submit my materials, I really have to get all this stuff done. I had to write a synopsis. I had to write a query letter. I had to get my manuscript in manuscript shape because and not just like a regular Word document. It actually had to have headers and all of that stuff. And so um, I was like, okay. And so it really gave me like a finish line, right? And so I submitted, I did not get in. Um, but around that time, it was a pitch contest called DV Pit, which actually this the um, the event for this year just passed. Um, and so I thought, okay, DV Pit is a Twitter pitch contest for people of diverse backgrounds, like all levels of diversity. And um, I thought, okay, well, I didn't get, I don't think I'm going to get into pitch wars. So let me give like like shoot my shot and this Twitter pitch contest. I've never writ written like a Twitter pitch before. It's like you're condensing your the whole idea of your book into 280 characters, like it's really short. And so, um, yeah, I just did it. And like a lot of agents liked it and which like to my surprise just blew my mind. Like people I didn't even think I would query, like liked it. And so, it was really exciting. It's a very exhausting process, but it was really exciting. Um, anyway, that's how I that's how I connected to my agent, um, and and then she sold my book. Which over the course of like, I mean, that whole process kind of happened in like five or six months. Again, not typical. There's people who query for years, um, and so. Yeah, all of that was just a big surprise, but I'm, I'm just really excited. Um, if anything, I'm really grateful about everything that's happened um, so far. Um, but I feel like I'm still kind of learning the ropes. Like even the idea that my first book came out November, 2021, this second book came out July, 2022. Like all of this feels so super, super fast. It's super, super overwhelming. I, I think I'm still processing this whole whole journey for me. You are our second writer who has gone through that process of uh, pitching your book on Twitter. Our first one was a writer um, that's based in California. Her name is Isabel Yap, and she did a short story collection uh, that's based on um, uh, Filipino folklore. It's, it's, it's really amazing, but it, you all both were able to do it that way to be able to get in. So it's, it's really cool that you could go through that process and move in I guess in somewhat of like a lightning speed in the writing world, what was the timing for you from writing the second book to getting the first one, getting the agent, getting it sold, and then you starting that second one? Because it's only been a matter of months. Like your your book is is brand new. Your second book is brand new to us. Yeah. So um, so the concept for this for circling back to you. Um, I did start in 2019. So while I was waiting for my query, so querying can take a long time. <laughs> so everyone says like, you know, instead of constantly refreshing your email, you should work on something new. And so that's what I did. I started working on Circling Back to You. I wrote about five chapters before I signed with my agent. And then I went through so many revisions with my first book. So I had to put Circling Back to You off to the side for a while. And then I didn't revisit it until summer 2020. And then I opened that draft and I'm like, this is a mess. <laughs> that first draft was horrible. And then, cause you know, I was just writing through like a very anxious time. It was just, yeah, it was just not good. Uh, but also the challenging thing was um, 
revisiting an office romance in 2020 was that the world of work was drastically changing. Like we were all working from home. Uh, we didn't like at that time, I was like very certain, like the projections were like, oh, things will go back to quote unquote normal, maybe by September, maybe by December. And I really thought like by 2021, everything might be normal. And then, so I thought like, how do I reflect this? Cause you know, with, especially with contemporary romance, like how do I like build a contemporary world where like things are kind of uncertain? Um, I don't know if everyone's gonna be work from home next year or by the time people pick up this book in 2022. And so, um, yeah, I, yeah, I didn't know really how to wrestle with that. And, you know, there was a lot of news about like where work projections were going to be. Anyway, so I did the best that I could, um, but I really had to change a lot of ideas of what I thought the book would be like to kind of reflect that time, uh, what I thought the future might look like. And then, um, and so I spent a good majority of 2020 writing the book. And then in 2021, right before the donut truck came out, I had to do a, a major revision on it. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, the, the whole writing process is, is a long journey. So yeah, it started in 2020, 2019 in a very bad draft. I, I wrote the majority of it in 2020 and then I did a big revision in 2021. And so it's kind of the whole process of writing this book. Oh man, I wish I could write a book like that. <laughs> for Like for the stuff like that, the touch is like, with family and stuff you said you you had to talk to for example like the usage of language for like you know for especially for Filipinos like you had to speak to a lot of like people and like this, the people that you know like for me maybe your friends um like just to validate all of that stuff well it, it's also kind of to get a sense of like um hearing different points of view you know and so um, even in my group of friends, there's like, like, let's just say that on the language specifically, even in my group of friends, you know, not all of them speak Tagalog. Um, if they do at varying levels of fluency, you know, some of my friends speak other um, languages. And so, um, and then thinking about like when, how, what would Matt say to his family versus like, how would he speak to Cadence in front of his family you know like you know really small nuances and situations like that like I really had to think through I also had a sensitivity reader who's Filipino so she's one of my in my writing group um she did a read on my book and so like yeah there's a lot of conversations like some of my friends just speak English in their family and so um and so I I kind of knew like I I knew when the book was announced like there was a lot of reader response especially from Filipino readers like oh they were so excited to see the representation and of course there was a part of me that worried like oh no like what if it's not <laughs> what they think it's going to be like but again kind of going back to like interviewing a lot of my friends and kind of collecting a lot of memories and experiences like it just goes to show like there's no one collective experience that or you know representation that that Matt's character can bring to the table. He, he is just one character. And hopefully with more and more books being published, like people can see more and more Filipino characters, let's say that they can relate to and um, see different parts of themselves represented in different ways um, without putting it all in one basket. And I think that was for me, like the way I had to look at it to kind of like take the pressure off of myself and writing a character like Matt, um, that there's just, 
no one singular um you know experience to represent in him like he is his just own person his own i had to craft his own family to to make him his own person yeah own unique character and how he experiences things in this story um and so so yeah i think that's kind of the point and i know some people were perhaps looking for something different looking for something that's really personal to them but again i think when it comes to representation it doesn't have to equate to relatability or it doesn't have to equate to seeing their like a reader seeing their specific experience on the page but being able to say like oh yeah like here's this character that's represented like there are certain things about this that i understand um, that they might not experience the same way but still hopefully come across as an honest or still realistic portrayal for that story mm. yeah and i think you you definitely achieved that because even with cadence like like i said you know my my in-laws they're chinese but they speak cantonese i think this is the first time that i've encountered like oh you know they speak haka and like mm -hmm. monica was saying like you know she didn't e also even know that it was you know it's 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 another type of like language and even that is like you know those little little things that you have to consider kind of really affects on how much like you know if people are really are really paying attention to your book how much of that is actually like you know was intentional and was was put there so so you know people can realize that there is like some sort of you know diversity even in in like all like asian people that we're all not the same and right we're allowed to be different from each other yes yes and and there is so much variety diversity within the asian american experience because it really depends on when somebody's family first arrived to the u.s the political climate at that time um um how much family that are here the reason what brought them here because there are certainly people who immigrated here on their own terms for economic reasons and there are some people who came to the u.s not on their own terms you know and and yeah and then there's a lot of variety in terms of um cultural diversity and and where certain languages and people come from and that also represents and like some really small nuances like that are also represented in like their names and how their names are spelled and so these are kind of like in a way smaller details but also in a way that also i think represents like that's how i want to bring a certain level of authenticity into the or honesty into the into the storyline by by taking careful um um, being careful with those kinds of details to 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 make it really true. Um, but yeah, like um, my family, there's a side of my family that speaks Hakka, and that's why I wanted to kind of like put like that's more of a personal nod um, when I integrated that into the book. But that language is mainly spoken in like the southern region of China, and those and that language is also in other Southeast Asian countries. And so um, there are a lot of nuances and shades and diversity. Um, to Asians and Asian Americans. And so I think being really careful about that and bringing it into a literary space is really special. It feels like a privilege. And, but, and yeah, if it, if it kind of opens up somebody's idea of what Asian Americans could be, I think that's just wonderful. 
So you, you know, you in this story, you have Cadence and you have like Matt, and they're both, you know, Asian Americans, but they're, but both, I think they're like, what from, you know, what we understood of the novel that they're all a little bit kind of older, their parents. And, you know, and then there's even like an, another older generation, which is, which is like the grandmother or their Lola. Um, and throughout this book, and maybe because I'm also like Asian American, I felt this type of like kind of like expectation, like what what you have to be, what you can't be, especially for like the growing generation, like the new generation of Asian Americans. I know you've touched about it in the book, but what else do you want to say about like expectations for children of Asian Americans, whether it be career, family, and like, you know, especially love? Yeah. Um... Well, the, I mean, there's a lot of expectations, <laughs> and, um, and, and I mean, some of it, some of it can be um, very explicitly told from your parents or your grandparents, and some of it can just be internalized, you know, I think there's, like, I think about my own personal experience, like, I think there's certain expectations, like, my parents never explicitly said to me, but I just inherently just kind of thought, like, these are things I should do you know, and um, just given the circumstances that, that we are in, right? And so, and I think we see some of that in Cadence where she just assumes certain things. <laughs> um, I don't want to give away parts of the books, but she assumes certain things because of like different cultural expectations. And, um, and yeah, I, I think it's a really tricky thing to navigate. And I think for Asian Americans, it's tricky because um, they're, again, depending on like the circumstances of what brought their family to the US, like there could be a certain amount of pressure of like, um, like having a certain type of career, um, if, depending on how traditional your family is, they might have a very specific idea of like, you must date a certain type of person. Um, and that can be really hard to juggle because in a lot of times it's very much, um, I don't wanna say opposite, but very much like a, very different from what a western idea of like how somebody should fall in love or how someone should pursue their passions or you know all of that and that's that's hard for like a second generation person to kind of navigate knowing kind of feeling in the middle of both of those things um so i think there is a level of that in this book um i didn't want to put too I, I guess i didn't want that to be like the main focus in some ways of this book um i think that my first book the donut trap that's where there's a lot of focus on, on career. Um, but um, in, in that way, in terms of like choosing something that fits their parents' expectations. But in this book, I, I you know, their Cadence and Matt are in their 30s. They're a little bit more established in what they do. And so it's not so much about uh, whether they are doing something that meets their expectations, but like how do they, um, manage like all the other aspects of their lives, right? Um, that still maintains a good relationship with their family. Cause I think that's the hard part. It's like, if you wanna have a good relationship with your family, but they have very different ideas of what you should be doing or how the world, how you should be navigating the world, then, then that is a source of conflict, right? And so um, wanting to have it all in terms of like, how do I do this thing that I really want, but that is also kind of in conflict with what my, what would, you know, help me fit in with my own family. I think that's a really challenging thing to navigate. And so, so yeah, I think that you see Cadence go through that a little bit and more in her personal life. Um, and I think, I think that's, um, 
you know, I, again, kind of going back to the earlier part of our conversation, like when you, you know, that's kind of maybe a, an experience that is, um, I think, very relatable to a lot of second generation kids of um, with immigrant parents. Um, and I think for somebody who is not used to reading that kind of experience, like it might feel very different for them to, or very challenging for them to understand or connect with. And I think hopefully if readers come into it with an open mind and really with the understanding of like, I'm reading about a, characters who have a very different worldview, different kind of circumstance than me. And if they can come into it with an open mind, then hopefully they can really try to have some empathy or understand, even if it's very different from what they are used to. How can you not love Matt though? <laughs> you know, like I feel like he was like everybody's like crush growing up. Oh yeah. Like I was a cadence once, you know. <laughs> I'm like, I'm maybe low-key stalking somebody. You know, we've all been there. And, and it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> you laugh at me like you haven't done it. Oh, I do it. I probably did it yesterday. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But I will tell you this that you know, books like yours just put you in the mind of what it has always been for people who love anything in regards to rom-com is that we all want and desire a meet cute. We want that so much to bump into somebody <laughs> in a bookstore, a coffee shop, at work, wherever. And you've given us that to read. And it is the most delicious thing that we were able to devour for the month of August. And we just want to say thank you. Now, we have one last question that we like to ask our authors every time they come on. We love to know either your top five favorite books of all time, which we also understand that might be hard and you might get off the Zoom call and say, no, why didn't I not say this one? But this is just what you pick for today. So either your top five favorite books of all time or top five books that you are excited about that you want people to know. That could be like your friends who might be your writer friends or something that you know that's coming out that you read the art too you never know <laughs> or like a oh my god or like a combination of both yeah yeah I might have to do a combination of both I'm like stressing out at this question <laughs> um let's see well okay so I think a good entry point for for if you have a if you have a friend who's like brand new to romance um I love the kiss quotient by Helen Wong I think she is and what's really special about her book is that it's funny, it's sexy, and it features a character that is um, um, neurodiverse, like she's got autism, and so I, and I thought like she handled a lot of those scenes like so well, and like again still kept it fun and sexy. I thought it was such a good book. Um, so that's really one of my ultimate like romance favorites. It's a great recommendation. Um, but let me think about books that I have coming up that, or like that I've read that are coming up. Um, I do love uh, The Fortunes of Jaded Women that is um, by Carolyn Wynn. It is coming out in September. It is a, a multi-generational mother-daughter story of, of Vietnamese women in Orange County, California. Uh, there is a curse and a prediction on their family. And so you see these women really fight to reconnect, but there's a lot of history, a lot of grudges, <laughs> and it's, but it's super funny. Uh, I just loved it. It really felt like 
Good. Reading about people that I know, I just love it. And so that's coming out in September. Um, in the romance genre, um, there is a book called Love in the Time of Serial Killers by Alicia Thompson. That is coming out uh, in a couple weeks, I think. Um, I think if you're a fan of like pop culture, uh, true crime, uh, and you love reading like a cinnamon roll hero. So cinnamon rolls are like me, me, uh, love interests that are just super sweet and nice. And, you know, so yeah, I, I recommend that. Um, let me see. I need to think of two more. Um, I don't know why I'm blanking out on books right now. Oh, you know what? I'm reading right now Love Times Infinity by Lane Clark. It is a YA book. Um, it is like, I just want to hug all these characters. I know it's YA, but like, it is just so well done and sweet. Um, and it, it does deal with some serious topics. So, so I think if you're concerned, like you should look it up a little bit more, but it is about um, high school seniors um, and the main character in particular, who is um, the, her personal background is that um, she was like, on, on, she was like not a, a wanted pregnancy and kind of like how she navigates the world knowing that she's alive even though like her parent did not want her and so I think it's very timely given kind of like the political climate um but it is also a romance and I thought it's done really well um and actually a book that I read recently that I really really love uh was Seven Days in June by Tia Williams mm. it is just gorgeous like Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. Also deals with some difficult <laughs> topics, but um, it is just beautiful the way the romance is written. It is about two um, authors who reconnect. They have a, a history that readers don't know. Um, she, I was on an interview. I was lucky to be on an interview um, interview panel with her, and she talked about the inspiration of the idea was like, what if Romeo and Juliet reconnected later like they didn't die but they reconnected later in life and they wanted to explore like if that one week together was just you know made, like imagine you know romanticized in their head as teenagers but what if they reconnected later as adults and I think that's just a great way to kind of give a certain idea of what the book is about but again the way that she unravels how they reconnect their chemistry how they reflect on their past and um, hardships that they've gone through is just like heartbreaking and beautiful and I just loved it I, I still think about it and so I think those are five <laughs> I think those are the five that come to mind right now those, um, are, good. those a, are good suggestions yeah it's a good the seven days one I I was opening up my Kindle and I remembered oh snap I have this book in there I haven't <laughs> read it yet so yeah, that's that's a solid list right there, ladies and gentlemen. You heard it here first. Yeah, we're not we're not afraid about the difficult subjects. We're not afraid about the YA. We read it all. We read everything. So I think I think that was a solid list. My one question though, before we go, when are we gonna see the story about this high school crush husband? What <laughs> <laughs> I really I I hope that was like in the incoming like third or fourth book, you know. I'm really interested no. about that, if I'm being no. honest. <laughs> no, um, no. <laughs> well, if anything, 
I, I feel like it's funny because I feel like I spent a lot. I, I've been married for a long time. Um, and I feel like when I was dating, most of my dating years were just me crushing on people. I just spent a lot more time pining for people <laughs> uh, than dating, actually. Um, if I didn't meet my husband, I don't know what would have happened. <laughs> I would just be still pining this um, all these years. But, um, but yeah, actually, like the donut trap and circling back to you kind of start off in a premise of like like the female character kind of having crushes or like feelings for somebody else that feels unrequited in some way right and so I think those first two books start out that way so I mean I don't have a specific book on high school crushes but I feel like there's like glimpses glimpses of that in the first two books my third book is not like that actually it's very different um the third book is it's kind of like I said it's been really hard to write but the basic concept of it is um kind of based on 27 dresses it is about a florist who is also tasked of being a bridesmaid for her three best friends in the same summer and so she's a very busy busy woman that summer and she just happens to be paired up with the same groomsman each time and so um, <laughs> so that's kind of like the, the basic concept if I could just like tease out what the third book would be like but I haven't finished it yet <laughs> it's still in progress take, we like the direction yeah <laughs> take your time because you got an ooh and an ah <laughs> so I think I think it's gonna be good take all the time I hope so yes and like you know like you said earlier just to close out the podcast who doesn't love love yeah. So, you know, thank you for um, inspiring us to read more love stories. I hope you keep writing them, you know, thank and you. incorporate like whoever, you know, whatever Julie wants to put in there. I think people would, people would read it, Julie. Thank you so oh. much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I had such a good time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you take care. All right. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Vulgar Geniuses. Our theme song that you're not in your head along to was produced by Sean Kantrowitz. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Dammit. That's S-E-A-N-D-A-M-M-I-T. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast. See you soon. Deuces. Deuces.